you are listening to the transforming india podcast jointly brought to you by the deepak and neeraj center on indian economic policies at columbia university and the times of india i am arvind panagaria director of the raj center and professor of economics at columbia my co-host on this podcast is professor praveen krishna he is a professor of international economics and business at johns hopkins university welcome praveen hi arvind the transforming india podcast has completed a year now and this is our 13th episode also the first one in our second year i've been really pleased by the response we've received and i wanted to begin today by thanking our listeners please share the link to the podcast with your friends who have an interest in understanding the indian economy and please feel free to email us with any suggestions at rajcenter@columbia.edu i'm glad you mentioned that ravin let me also take this opportunity to thank our listeners the response to this podcast has indeed been heartening and we look forward to engaging further with our listeners since the covid-19 epidemic and the indian government's response to it has been dominating the headlines i thought we might offer our listeners a systematic dissection of its economic side though we have covered some of the issues in our earlier podcast featuring sajit chinoy it will be good to revisit the subject in the light of the developments that have taken place in the past couple of months we can divide the government's response into two broad phases phase 1 followed on the heels of the prime minister's announcement of the lockdown on march 24 and phase 2 followed the prime minister's met fells speech announcing the beginning of the lockdowns last phase phase 1 announcements included the rupees 1.7 trillion pradhan mantri garib kalyan package launched on march 26 and several major measures announced by the reserve bank of india on march 27 phase 2 brought the five part atmanirbhar bharat package that the finance minister unveiled starting may 13th and ending on may 17th so there were five press conferences that the finance minister gave in succession the rbi followed it up with further measures on may 22 in between rbi had also announced some measures on april 17 so shall we begin with a discussion of phase 1 package praveen yes and, and before we get to the phase 1 package let me make two broad points first many commentators have spilt a lot of ink comparing the overall size of india's package with the massive transfers announced by the united states this to me feels inappropriate the fiscal situations of the united states and india are obviously dramatically different furthermore the us dollar is a reserve currency while the rupee is not even fully convertible yet and so the implications of injecting large volumes of cash into the economy for inflation in the two countries are going to be vastly different the us is also far less vulnerable to sovereign ratings downgrades in the face of huge spending whereas for us there are serious implications of unchecked spending the second point is that in assessing the government's response it is necessary to focus on the package's design as much as on its magnitude that is to say we must ask whether the government allocated its expenditures where they were most needed and whether the quantum of expenditure was roughly correct likewise regarding credit did it design its programs and policies so as to ensure that solvent firms would stay afloat during the period when they had no cash inflow of their own in this spirit praveen let me say that when the government first announced the lockdown on march 24 it had three immediate concerns first it needed to ensure that during the lockdown all had access to food and shelter second it needed to quickly ramp up its health infrastructure 
to deal with the rapidly evolving threat of COVID-19. And finally, it needed to ensure that during lockdown, solvent firms did not go bankrupt just because the sudden stop of economic activity put a sudden end to cash flow. The 1.7 trillion or 1.7 lakh crore rupee package that the government announced then largely focused on addressing the first two concerns. To ensure the availability of food, the package provided for 5 kilogram grain and 1 kilogram lentil per person per month free of charge to 800 million of the poorest Indians. Being covered by the National Food Security Act, these 800 million individuals already received 5 kilogram grain as part of their regular monthly ration. Therefore, the package brought the total availability of grain to them to 10 kilograms per person per month. This amount equals the average per person consumption in India, according to expenditure surveys by the National Sample Survey. Therefore, this important provision, and I think this was probably the most important provision of the package, ensured adequate food supply to two-thirds of Indians. The March 26 package also provided for free gas cylinders for 80 million poor families for three months. So that allowed the households to be able to cook their meals. It accelerated the transfer of rupees 2000 per farmers to 87 million farmers under the PM Kisan scheme to April 1. So that gave these families some ready cash right away starting April 1. The package also provided for a modest cash transfer of rupees 500 per month for three months to 200 million female Jandhan bank account holders. Taken as a whole, while the package may not be worthy of being called generous, it surely made adequate provisions for the survival of the poor and vulnerable for three months ending on June 30. Now, the second emergency with which the government had to deal was obviously related to health. And here, I think it's clear that we went into the crisis rather unprepared, according to at least one medical expert, whereas countries such as South Korea, Taiwan, and Vietnam had learned from the SARS and MERS experiences and had made prior preparations to face their next epidemic, we did not learn much from our H1N1 experience. In the winter of 2009-10, we had been hit hard by the H1N1 pandemic with thousands dying from it. However, we did not subsequently build defenses in terms of personal protective equipment, PPE, such as N95 masks, medical equipment such as ventilators, and infrastructure such as hospitals capable of handling infections on a large scale. It is probably also fair to say that in the two months preceding the lockdown, a more vigilant health ministry and Indian Council of Medical Research would have made efforts to ramp up the supply of PPEs and ventilators and readied our hospitals for epidemic-related emergencies. That being said, I was also credit the government that once the lockdown was in place, it moved very fast. The March 26 package itself allocated a sizable sum of 150 billion rupees for emergency health responses. It additionally provided 5 million rupees worth of insurance coverage for health workers. It quickly added new testing facilities and hospitals dedicated to treating COVID-19 patients. Administrators at central, state, and local levels got onto the task of testing, contact tracing, and quarantining quite effectively. Likewise, the police did their part well by effective implementation of the lockdown. The only major challenge arising out of this was for migrant workers who showed up in large numbers in particular areas in the country. We also witnessed tragic scenes of many migrant workers walking from their host states to their home states hundreds of kilometers away. While you are on the subject of migrant workers, Praveen, 
Let me make one important point that needs to be highlighted in view of what we have seen in May. Many critics of the government said that it made a huge mistake when it chose to announce the lockdown before transporting migrant workers to their homes. I have to say that though this criticism seemed to get a lot of traction in the media, it originated wholly in the ignorance of the critics on the magnitude of the challenge of transferring some three to five million migrants and the urgency of the lockdown when it was announced. We now know that post-lockdown, the government began running trains and buses to transport migrants to their homes on May 1. And till the end of May, it was still not done. I don't think it is still fully done as we record this episode on June 15th. If the government had chosen to engage in this exercise before the lockdown, given how long this would have taken, COVID-19 would have spread way faster. Given the state of India's health infrastructure at the time, such spread of the infection would have overwhelmed the system. So I think the prime minister was both wise and brave to announce the lockdown when he did. That's an interesting point, Arvind, and one that I've not seen made by anyone before. And it reminds you of the incredible challenges faced by the government in, in deciding on these things. Let me then return to wrapping up our discussion of the phase one package. The last major piece of the economic response package came from the Reserve Bank of India. The RBI's task was to ensure that solvent firms that were otherwise operating well did not go bankrupt on account of due dates of payments while no cash was being generated. To its credit, the RBI more or less moved in with the response that some commentators have likened to the unleashing of a bazooka. It cut the interest rate by a hefty 75 basis points, bringing it down to 4.4%. This was the biggest rate cut since 2009 and was accompanied by measures boosting liquidity by a massive $50 billion. It also knocked down the cash reserve ratio by 100 basis points, reducing it to 3%. Most importantly, it prohibited banks from collecting principal and interest on their loans for three months, ending on June 30th. This last measure went some distance towards solving cash flow problems of many firms. Well, that completes our discussion of phase one, Praveen. Let's now turn to phase two, which was launched with the announcement of the five-part Atmanirbhar Bharat package by the finance minister. This is a wide-ranging package, complemented by another set of measures by the RBI. The finance ministry package can be broadly divided into two components. First, interventions aimed at helping firms come out of the lockdown. And second, reforms to improve long-term economic efficiency. Given the limited time for this episode, let us focus on the first component and return to a deeper discussion of the reforms in a future episode. An important deficiency of the phase one package, inclusive of RBI measures, was that it largely neglected micro, small, and medium enterprises, or what is often referred to as MSMEs. A large number of MSMEs that employ a large share of India's non-farm workforce have extremely limited access to the formal bank credit. As a result, phase one measures by the RBI substantively did not resolve their cash flow problems. For this reason, part one of phase two packages pays particular attention to MSMEs. Among the numerous measures announced 
announced the most important is the provision of 3 trillion rupees that is 3 lakh crore rupees in collateral free loans to generally healthy MSMEs. The government would give 100% credit guarantee to banks on both principal and interest on these loans. To improve access to credit for stressed MSMEs, the package provides for credit guarantee on 200 billion or 20,000 crore rupees worth of subordinate debt to them by banks. Another major provision proposes infusion of 500 billion rupees in equity in MSMEs through the fund of funds. These three measures are expected to help MSMEs in meeting their built-up operational liabilities, buying raw materials, and restarting production and business activities. Let me add, Arvind, that the package also contains some important measures to revive non-bank finance companies, the NBFCs, housing finance companies, the HFCs, and microfinance institutions, the MFIs. Under a liquidity scheme worth about 300 billion rupees, the government will invest in investment-grade debt paper issued by these institutions. Under another scheme, the government will provide partial guarantee on 450 billion rupees worth of debt issued by these institutions. The government will bear the first 20% of the loss on this debt. The two will improve the liquidity position of NBFCs, HFCs, and MFIs that extend loans to MSMEs. Alongside, the RBI has taken several measures with yet bigger implications for increasing liquidity. In its latest May 22nd package, the RBI reduced the interest rate by another 40 basis points, bringing the interest rate down to 4%. It extended the moratorium on repayment of loans to banks by another three months until August 31st, 2020. In two distinct steps, the RBI extended refinance windows worth 800 billion rupees to all Indian financial institutions that include NHB, SIDB, NABARD, and Exim Bank. The first of those windows was extended on April 17th and the second one on May 22nd. To complete our discussion of major measures involving expenditures, transfers, or loans, let me mention two other broad areas, assistance to the poor and farmers. Under these provisions, the package offers subsidized loans or outright transfers to migrants, micro-enterprises, vendors, plantation workers, middle-class house owners, and above all, farmers. All expenditures, transfers, and loans made available through phase one and phase two package add up to 20 trillion rupees. Overall, the government has managed to put together very substantial packages with minimal damage to its reputation for fiscal rectitude. Even so, we'll get to know whether or not it has succeeded in its mission only over a period of one to two years. The situation on COVID-19 itself is still evolving and some of the key production hubs remain in containment zones. Though in the very short run, I must say that the government has successfully convinced two of our major ratings agencies, Fretch and Standard & Poor, because they have kept India's rating to the investment grade and the outlook stable. It was not so successful with the third Moody's, where Moody's decided to downgrade India by a notch. Although, to be fair, that Moody's was one agency which actually had India one notch above in its ratings than Standard & Poor and Fetch. So, Overall, I think, you know, the, the government's effort at giving a signal on its fiscal rectitude seems to have paid off. That's a good concluding statement, Arvind. And so overall, I mean, we have to recognize 
that in terms of addressing the humanitarian issue, for most part, the government with the food rations that it's given and arranged and with the income transfers to the poor has taken care of kind of most of the problem, leaving aside, of course, the migrant worker issue that we've already discussed. And in retrospect, even though many had called for kind of a more generous action on the part of the government, looking at the situation where it stands today in terms of increasing numbers of new cases and the situation that looks like it might likely get worse in the coming months, it seems wise of the government to have saved some resources to deal with these challenges that are coming up in the future. And finally, we shouldn't forget that the non-performing asset problem, the Indian economy could potentially get worse. Many of the enterprises that were already not doing so well may clearly face worse circumstances and may end up doing worse and getting entering the NPA category. And additionally, the new loans that have been given by the government, some of which we might expect would go bad as well. And so they may very well be a substantial requirement, additional resources on the part of the government to recapitalize and deal with these issues as they come up in the future. And so in this context, it seems like what the government did in terms of being kind of relatively prudent and maybe less generous than it could have been, seems like the right thing to have done. That's excellent, Praveen. Let me also remind our listeners that an extremely important and very, very substantial part of phase two package contains economic reforms that would go a long way towards improving the efficiency of the economy and its growth prospects. We have not discussed that in this episode, and we will be returning to this part of the package very soon. Uh, in another episode. And it seems that's all the time we have, Arvind, for this episode. With that, signing off, this is Praveen Krishna. And this is Arvind Panagaria on the Transforming India podcast, produced by Atisha Kumar, research scholar at Columbia University, and edited by Rebecca Megalwari at Insights at Columbia University. Thank you for listening.